So we have a special treat this morning. Sorry, let me just move the technology out of the way in case they need the podium. Our great friends Graham and Randa and our greatest friend Jack are with us this morning. And uh, um, they are going to share with us some of their story, some of their journey. You know, if you've been here any length of time, you know we really love to hear what God is doing in people's lives. And that's why we invited Graham and Randa and uh, uh, Jane's advancing on Jack. No, she's not. She's <laughs> We've had a fun weekend with them visiting. And so why don't you guys come on up and uh, tell us some of your story. And we are all going to learn from what God has done with these guys. You might recognize Graham, those of you who've done the A school. He was, he's helped, well, I think, with two schools so far, with the Father Heart schools. And look, by the way, February, there's another school coming. So if you haven't done an A school, make sure you put that on your calendar. Come and see me afterwards. We'll make sure you get a place in that. Graham and Randa, welcome. We love you guys, and we're glad you're here. Tell us all about it. Go ahead. <laughs> um, I haven't done this for a while, but um, I was just thinking, what do I, what do I want to share? And I think because I'm um, very much into the season of new motherhood, <laughs> um, I'll share about what I feel like God's done with that. Sorry. Um, so... My mom had me at 17, and we are the best of friends. She's the best mom ever, and um, I thank her for choosing me and loving me. And um, But growing up, I never really had, like, a present father around. Um, so I've been on this journey with God of, like, healing some dad wounds, you know, and, like, letting him love me in those places that are scary and vulnerable and but in the meantime, um, growing up like in high school and college, um, I did not know God. I grew up in a very religious um, church for a little while. And then um, when my mom and stepdad separated, we quit going to church. So, um, which that it might have done more damage than not going <laughs> in the first place. But anyway, so I didn't know the Lord at all in high school and college. And I think growing up without a dad, you just you really just want to be validated and you want to be told, you know, from a, um, from somebody that you're loved and that you're worthy and beautiful. And so I was, um, definitely looking for love in all the wrong places and made a lot of, um, you know, decisions that I've, I couldn't move past. It was like a cycle. You felt so much shame, but then you did it again because you felt so much shame and you just wanted to you were hoping that something would work out eventually, right? But it's like a vicious cycle. So, um, yeah, had a lot of shame, had a lot of heartbreak, a lot of guilt. And I remember um, visiting home from college one weekend, and I was laying um, in bed, and I was so upset after something that had happened. And my mom came in, and she was just kind of like rubbing my back and um, consoling me, and I just said, I'm tainted, like I'm damaged goods, like no one's ever going to love me. All I've wanted is to be a mom and a wife. That's what I've prayed for. Um, that's what I've always wanted, and now it's it's just never going to happen. I'm never going to find anybody that loves me um, in spite of all I've done. And um, anyway, my mom got saved shortly after that and <laughs> convinced me to go to church one day. And I met the Holy Spirit in the parking lot by myself before I went into the church building. <laughs> And it was amazing, and I never looked back. Um, and then a few months later, I got accepted to a ministry school. I'm from Alabama, so all the way in California. First time ever leaving home. And um, 
I was just about to back out and give everybody their money back who had donated because I was terrified. And we had a guest speaker at church that night, and he had never been before, never met me. And he called me out in the crowd, and he said, God knows you're afraid, but he says you are going. And he's like, I don't know what I'm talking about, but you're going. <laughs> and um, he gave me all the money in his pocket, and it ended up paying off my ministry school. Um, so I went to California, became really good friends with this guy. And um, we eventually started dating. I remember I wanted to tell him so much about everything that I'd been through, what I felt like God was redeeming, um, all the hurts in my heart that I ex had experienced through previous relationships. And he embraced me wide open and said, that's not who you are anymore. You know, like you're redeemed. God loves you. He adores you. And I think I've, that was the first time I ever heard that from a man. And um, I just thought we were four months in, but I was like, oh, I want to marry him. I love him. <laughs> I know it was, it was ministry school. So we were all trying to get married anyway, but, um, <laughs> but, um, but I was just thinking about that story and how beautifully it worked out and how I just had someone who like totally embraced me. I actually found a lot of healing. God used Graham to do that. And now there's a lot of healing that actually is coming from watching him father our son, Jack. And we have a baby boy who's due in January and, it's just been so good for my heart to see what a real father is like and what a baby deserves. And um, anyway, and then there's another aspect too, just that a lot of people would call my life mundane. You know, I stay at home with a two-year-old all day and I'm having another baby in January, but there's been something so significant about... Um, I'm living out my, my promise and my redemption from God, and there's nothing mundane about it. And so um, that's just what I've been really focusing on lately is that he is so much easier to find in the simplicity than if you're striving and going after success or what the world thinks that you should be doing and the world tells you who you are. And so, um, yeah, I'm just... I'm really thankful for what he's done. I'm really proud of my life. I never thought I would have this. I truly did not. And people would call it mundane all day. But to me, I'm living the godly dream. He's done so much for me and my heart. So I'm just excited to see where our journey continues going. So, yeah. Yes. And uh, my husband just... Okay, my husband just reminded me of a really good story. Um, it's actually... <laughs> It's actually our son, um, Jack's, it's about his name. So we were, um, we were living in Redding, California um, when we found out we were pregnant with Jack. And at about five weeks, I had some bleeding, so I went to the ER, the emergency room, you know. And the doctor told me, um, you know, you've got what's called a hematoma, and just be prepared, you've got a 50-50 shot of a miscarriage. By the 10-week mark, it would have probably happened if it was going to happen. Um, so I'm like, that's comforting, you know. And Anyway, a um, few weeks later, I'm, I'm obviously trying to not go down that path of thinking that way and, like, declaring life over my child and, and reading the Bible and things like that. But one day we were out for a walk, and we come around the corner, and there's this man who's meeting us right at that corner, and he said, I, he's like, I have to stop you. I know this is so strange, but I really feel like God said, you're trying to get pregnant or you are, 
And at this time I was um, about nine weeks, so you know, not very, not noticeable, um, noticeably pregnant. And so we stop and we say, yeah, we're pregnant, we're about nine weeks along, and um, he starts weeping hysterically, and um, he's very emotional, and something's happening. I'm crying, I don't even know where he's going with this whole question, you know, but it makes me cry. And um, he said, my wife suffered five miscarriages, um, and now we have two teenage boys, and I'm blessing you right now with a healthy pregnancy and a healthy baby. And I just, I told him what had happened at the ER. And um, he was like, that's not going to be your outcome. Um, I just, I bless you with a peaceful, healthy pregnancy. And um, as we were walking away, he turned around and he said, if it's a boy, you should name him Jack. But he was, he was laughing. And we looked at each other and we were like, oh, yeah, that's kind of funny. But then we were like, oh, Jack, we love that name. And it means God is gracious. And that was the nine-week mark. And I was waiting for the 10-week mark to, like, have my next appointment and, like, be all clear and stuff. And, um, yeah, had a very healthy pregnancy and delivery and a rambunctious two-year-old now. And um, my friend and I were out walking on that trail. I, it was about a month later, about 15 weeks, I found out that I was having a boy for sure. And um, she said it would be so cool if we ran into him today. And I was like, I don't know. It's a pretty big trail. And we were just getting to our cars, and he was right there walking towards me. And I was like, oh, um... Jack and he was like yeah who are you <laughs> and I was like I don't know if you remember praying me for about a month ago and he said oh yes I do I remember praying for you and I said well I want you to know that everything's healed up we found out we're having a boy and we're naming him Jack and um it was such a God um encounter and so he um he like stays in touch with us and he'll text now and ask how Jack is but it was just such a beautiful promise in the midst of the unknown and the worry and the fear and um, now we have our Jack, and God is gracious, so, yeah, yep, he's so trustworthy, yeah, I'm done, <laughs> okay, um, yeah, so, uh, baby boy is due in January, and we were trying to figure out his name, and um, we were actually, my, um, Mark was talking about Father Heart, we actually did the Father Heart family summer camp um, back in June in New York, and um, I had been thinking about the name Marlo, I just I couldn't get it out of my head, I thought that's very unique, I know, very interesting, but I just couldn't let it go, and um, found out that it meant driftwood, and um when we were at the summer camp, there was this really sweet lady who we did the school with, and we were saying our goodbyes, and she came up and put her hand on my belly and just was telling me bye, and she starts crying hysterically, and then she starts busting out laughing, and I'm like, whoa, what's going on, you know? <laughs> and um, anyway, she told me, she said, this baby will be born into the river of Father's love and never know anything different. And I just thought, wow, that goes with the name that, like, Driftwood, you know. I just thought immediately, I just saw Driftwood flowing and having, like, no agenda and just peacefully going down a river stream. And then I was, like, Googling. I was, like, what are some cool facts about Driftwood? Because, you know, the name only means Driftwood, so I wanted something further. And um, I read that the cool thing about Driftwood is that it actually slows down the flow of water 
so that all the inhabitants of that area can absorb the maximum nutrients. And I just really felt like, before I knew the name, that this baby would carry a lot of peace and that people would be drawn to that peace. Um, and so I thought, that's really beautiful. And um, yeah, so that's how we got Marlo. And then um, his name is Marlo James, and um, felt like I'd had some pretty, like, severe spiritual attacks during my pregnancy. And I just remember praying, um, God, like, I really just want something that he can hold on to his whole life. That means you're going to protect him. You're going to take care of him. And um, we found out that um, James in the Latin means may God protect. So um, that, that's how he got his name. So um, I love it. It's special to me and us. And so, yeah. Now I will let you have the pleasure of hearing Graham. He's amazing. Is it okay if I use, yeah. I just need something to hide behind, you know. <laughs> oh. No, I, I might just, I might have some things I want to read. Um. No, it's fine. Yeah, I'll squint. Hi. <coughs> um, I'm Graham. I'm English, too. You're in good company. Um, so, yeah, I was born and raised in England. Um, I lived there until I was 20, then moved to New Zealand, and then in 2016, I moved from New Zealand to the U.S. Um, in fact, where we live currently in North Carolina, I think it's the, it's the one place I've lived the longest in the past 15 or so years. <laughs> it's been, yeah. It's been a lot of traveling, a lot of moving, but um, I wouldn't have changed it. I, I became a Christian when I was 16, and uh, it was through a lot of turmoil. I, I, was, I was brought up going to church um, in the village I lived in. There was a, an old Anglican church, and so my parents would take us there every Sunday, and I went to Sunday school and all that kind of stuff. And, uh, you know, I didn't, I didn't really engage that well with it. It was just something we did. It was traditional. It was cultural, and so be it. Um, and in my preteen kind of years, we, we changed and went to a Methodist church for a little while. And then, um, and then finally, when I was 13, we had the option of not going to church, and so I stopped. <laughs> my, my dad decided he didn't want to go anymore, and so I thought, that's fine. I don't want to go anymore either. So we all just stopped going to church. Um, but I think, you know, looking back, and I'll tell you a little bit of my story, um, those few years I was going to church as a kid, there was something foundational that was still being built in me, whether or not I knew it. You know, it was, it was obviously quite a lot of religion that I was being a part of, but there was still truth wrapped in that. Um, and that, that really became significant a little bit later on. When I was 15, my parents split up. My, um, my dad had been having an affair. They'd been married for 20 years, and my dad had an affair. And he moved out and went and lived with his... Um, this new lady that he was dating from work. <laughs> um, and my mum didn't take it very well. She, uh, that's, that's an understatement, she took it pretty badly. <laughs> she became quite suicidal. Uh, she attempted to take her life a few times, um, mostly you know, overdoses, that kind of stuff. Did it in front of my sister and I um, once or twice and would run away every so often and we wouldn't know where she was. And there's a whole plethora of stories I could tell you throughout that period, which I don't have time to right now, but... Um, yeah, a lot happened, and, and during that time, I really felt as though there was no person, there was no man, no woman, 
nobody in my life who I knew of that could help me through what was happening. You know, my dad had moved out. I wasn't speaking to him. My mom was at home sometimes when she wasn't running away or somewhere else taking overdoses. <laughs> Um, and so it was just my sister and I a lot of the time at home alone and just, uh, we had to process all of this as it was going on. And I was a kid, I was 15. And it was very difficult and I couldn't do it. And so every, pretty much every single time that something would happen in my mom's life, whatever she was doing, um, I just started to pray. I, I had nothing else to fall back on other than I thought, well, hey, I went to church as a kid. I have an idea that God might be real, so I'll give it a shot. You know, it's kind of my last straw. It's my last result. And so I did, and so every time something happened, I would just pray the same prayer over and over again, and the prayer was really simple. It was just look up into the sky, <laughs> and I would say, Father, if you're real, then save my mom and help me too. That was my prayer. Prayed that for about a year straight, multiple times as different things happened. And there's, there's, I mean, there's so many stories I could tell you where there was obviously an intervention by God. <laughs> like, there's no doubt in my mind that he... He saved her and helped her and, um, and got her through that period. And so when I was 16, um, I, I kind of caught on to the idea that perhaps he is doing something and maybe he is real and, you know, because my mom's still alive and she's been through a lot of stuff, like this, there was car wrecks, there was all kinds of things that were involved in that year period. And she survived everything and she was always fine. Like she was never in hospital for more than a night at any of those given events and so... I thought this is incredible and something might be, something might be in this. Uh, and so I went to school and I knew that one of the religious education teachers at school was a Christian and so I asked him which church he went to because I, I, I didn't really want to go back to the Methodist church or the Anglican church. It was just something didn't seem, didn't seem right with doing that. I felt like there wasn't going to be enough life there for me. Like I'd experienced something that felt that was outside of the realm of what they would teach. And... And so I asked him, and um, I knew that he had like, a lot of young people that went to church, and, and so I thought that might be a good fit for me, you know, kind of be around people of similar age, and that might be good. So he, he told me where to go, and it was, a, it was actually in an Anglican church building, but it was in the upper room of the church building, like in the, in the attic areas where they met. And he said, you know, go there on Saturday night, 7 o'clock is when they start, and when you get there, just introduce yourself to John. And John was the pastor of the church. And so um, I, I went there on a Saturday night, and found John and said, hey, John, such as told me to come here. Um, hi. <laughs> it's like, what, what do I do now? <laughs> What's the next steps? Um, and John, I, I say this every time I mention his name in front of people. John is one of those men in my life that I wish you could all have met. He, I mean, his, his role in my life was so significant, especially during that period of time. I was so fortunate to have that be my first experience experience of being mentored as a, a new Christian, a new believer. He was incredible. I, I get there, I introduce myself, and he, um, you know, he was obviously meant to be running things that night, and he was going to share a message or whatever they were going to do, but he stopped everything. He stopped everything, and he asked his wife to take over, and so there were, you know, she started leading worship and stuff like that, and um, there was people waving flags in the corner and praying in tongues, and I had never encountered any of that stuff before, so I was a little bit concerned. <laughs> It's, it, it, it's unusual, you know, it, it, it didn't feel unsafe. That was the thing that stood out to me most about it. It was strange, I had not experienced it before, but it didn't feel unsafe. It felt like there was still a reality to what they were doing and it wasn't weird, as odd as it might have looked at me at the time. 
And, and John, he just took me to like one corner of the room and we sat down on a couple of chairs and he said, so what's your story? And so I explained to him everything that had happened about the year or so prior and further back just about my upbringing and things. And he sat there for the entire night and just listened to my story, just listened to me. And then he prayed for me and he pulled out a little tape recorder and prophesied over me, <laughs> which is also a little strange, but... Um, it, was just, it was just an amazing encounter with someone I'd never met before who, who really, at that point, became a spiritual father right from the outset. And, um, and for the next two years beyond that, he just, it, was, it kind of became a home church eventually. We all just met in his house on a Friday night, and, and it was about 15 or so of us, and he just mentored me, you know, and he was, it was, it was exactly what I needed. I think it's what a lot of young new Christians need really is, is someone like that in their lives that can be a father to them and, and mentor them because you can just hide in the corner sometimes and, and not be, what's the right word here, I don't want to say forced, but you, you're put in a situation where you're going to have to step out of your comfort zone a bit more when you've got someone like that in your life. And, um, and I didn't like that, <laughs> uh, you know, but it was good because we, we practiced things, like we practiced prophesying over people, we practiced dream interpretation and you know he would really just teach us all the things that he experienced he was linked in with toronto and all the things that were happening there and yeah it was it was incredible and so because of the connections he had there was people that would come and do conferences in our town and so i got to meet a lot of cool people through that and in that first two years it was just it was really incredible the transformation in my life um you know obviously all the stuff that i'd been going through with my parents was catching up to me to some extent i'd I was depressed, I'm pretty sure about that. Um, you know, emotionally, it was a lot for a, a teenager to take on, all the things that had been happening. And so I was just doing the best I could to, to live the good Christian way. <laughs> um, and it wasn't necessarily like John was teaching me how to live. It was, you know, he was never like that. He was never giving me a set of rules to follow, and it was never legalism. It was, it was perfect what he did. But somewhere along the way, I learned that I needed to try and live this Christian life. And whenever I wasn't, you start to step into condemnation. Um, and I was probably about 17, well, maybe about 18, and um, it really started to catch up to me. Now, at that point, John, had, um, he decided not to be a pastor anymore. That wasn't where he felt the Lord was calling him. And so he, he stopped being a pastor, and the church just kind of disbanded. And being that was my first experience of church life, was having this man mentor me, I was kind of trying to find somewhere else I could get that again, and that's really hard to come by. <laughs> I don't know if anybody else in this room's had that when they were a new Christian, if you had that kind of a story where you weren't a Christian, became a Christian, and you had someone mentor you for two years. It's, it's a rare thing, I think. And so I was looking for that, but couldn't find it. And so I, I kind of just stopped going to church. Um, it wasn't that I stopped believing in God. It's just I didn't have that. I just couldn't find life anywhere else at that point. And due to that, I think, you know, you kind of, when you're not in community, it, it can really take its toll on you. Um, and I think I just started to spiral. I, I stepped into uh, a lot of anxiety. I, I had a, a panic attack one time in public. And ever since that one time, I was unable to go back into public again, essentially. I was too afraid of having another panic attack. And, and this is all just, just all this emotional baggage and stuff that was carried over from 15 years old of, all the things that happened with my parents. Really tough stuff, but 
you know, I was 17, or sorry, 18, 19, um, struggling with anxiety and just doing nothing with my life. I barely left the home. It kind of, it almost became agoraphobia, you know, the fear of leaving your safe place. It was, it was quite severe. And I was just in no man's land. I was doing nothing with my life, and I just didn't know how to get out of it. I didn't know how to get free of it. And uh, I turned 20, and I think, I don't know what happened. I just, I turned 20 years old, and... It was the day of my birthday. I remember it really clearly. I woke up and I was thinking, I can't live like this anymore. This, I mean, it's not even living, right? I'm just, I'm trapped. I'm stuck and I want to get free. I want to just, I want to do something with my life. I want to go explore, go on an adventure, just get out of this rut that I'm in. And so I decided I would move. Now, bear in mind, I couldn't go beyond my village. Like I could go down to the village, to the local shops, but I couldn't go beyond that to the shopping mall. I couldn't go beyond that to the city. Um, and I certainly couldn't go anywhere else in the country or abroad. Um, so obviously I had this great idea that I'd move to New Zealand, which <laughs> is probably about as far away from my house as you could get. <laughs> I mean, you're talking like opposite sides of the globe. And I thought that should probably do it. So I knew all the facts about panic disorders and anxiety. I knew that, you know, in order to kind of break free of that, um, you know, psychologically speaking, you want to try and expand your safe zone. And so you should try and, you know, go to the village and sit there for 30 minutes and then go home. Then go to the shopping mall, sit there for 30 minutes. Just kind of keep on gradually expanding the places you go to and just sit there. Be comfortable. If you experience anxiety, panic, that's okay. It's not going to kill you. Just sit through it and just keep on doing that and expanding your safe zone. Well, I tried that and that didn't work for me. I couldn't, I couldn't get beyond the village. And so, um, but I, I was convinced I needed to do something. And I think the motivation to to step out of the anxiety and just do it was kind of what got me across the line, I think. And God, obviously. Um, and so uh, I, that same day, I, <laughs> it's, it's sort of unique, but I, um, I booked plane tickets to New Zealand that same day. I got a visa online and get the electronic visas so you can do like a, a working holiday type thing there so I could get a job when I get there. Um, I was really thinking big here. And... Um, I went online and I found a place that I can move into. All of this stuff on the same day. Like I just messaged someone online, like, yeah, we have a spare room. It's like, cool, gonna move in in a couple months. <laughs> and, um, and that was that, so everything was ready to go. And six weeks later, I, um, I was like the day off, I was gonna leave England and go all the way to New Zealand. And I wake up in the morning and um, so what, what happened was I needed to get the train, so I needed to get from, get from my house go to the city where the train station was, get the train down to London, which was like a four-hour train ride, and I was going to fly from London to LA, then LA to Auckland in New Zealand, then Auckland down to Wellington was the, the route I was taking. And so there's a ton of stops, ton of places that I could completely freak out and lose it and just not get to where I need to be, but I thought, let's try it. And so my dad took me to the train station, and I was surprisingly okay. Like, I felt uncomfortable. I knew that there was something dark and heavy lingering on me and within me. Um, but I managed to get through it okay and uh, got on the train and get down to London, get on the plane from London to LA. Had a whole three-seat section to myself on that flight, which is pretty rare from London to LA. It's such a busy route. So that was, that was a nice little blessing. Um, unlimited beer, lots of movies. So that was a good flight. And I get to, uh, I get to LA, and um, that's where the first kind of hiccup happened. It was, I was at the check-in for LA to go from LA to Auckland. And, um, the check-in lady, she, she said, okay, well, where's your return ticket at? And I was like, well, I don't need one because I, I have a visa to go to New Zealand and 
live and work there for a year. And she was like, that's just something you printed out at home. Like, I, <laughs> I, need, to, I need to know how you're going to come back from that. And so um, I said, well, I don't know. Like, that, it's an electronic visa. I don't have any more proof than what I printed out from the website from the electronic visa. <laughs> it's just we're kind of in no man's land right there. And so um, it took them about two, two and a half hours to contact the New Zealand people and figure out that, yes, he has a visa. He can go. And so I was stood at check-in for two hours, and that was not very comfortable in LAX, given I had an anxiety disorder. <laughs> um, but finally got back on the plane, and off we went to New Zealand. And I got to New Zealand. The flight was late landing. And so we get to Auckland, and I'd missed my connecting flight to Wellington. And so I was starting to freak out a little bit about that. And so I go to the check-in desk, and they were like, oh, that's fine. We'll just put you on the next one. Because they fly every hour, and there were some spare seats. And so that was not a big deal. 45 minutes later, I was on the plane to Wellington. And then I get to Wellington, and um, the jet bridge connects to the plane. And as soon as I stepped off the, jet, um, off the plane into the jet bridge, all of the anxiety, all of the panic, all of the fear, everything just lifted off just disappeared, and it has not been back since. And, you know, New Zealand, I, I kind of fell back into the chapel. Like, when, it, when that happened, I was like, okay, this is obviously God again. Hi. <laughs> been, a, been a minute, you know, since I've hung out with you. And that, that kind of pattern sort of happened throughout New Zealand, too, when I was living there. You know, I, uh, I, I was zealous on and off. <laughs> And in between the times, I was just lukewarm. Is kind of how it felt, you know. Um, I never really struggled so much with striving. Like, hear a lot of people like kind of get stuck in this trap of, of legalism and religion, and like we've got to strive to be a good Christian. Like, I went through periods like my zealous times. I was kind of like, okay, let's let's do that. Let's. Um, like one time, I bought some Bible software. I spent like two thousand dollars on this Bible software. I had like a thousand different resources with it, and I was like, this is awesome. I'm going to learn everything. You know, did a Bible plan for a couple of weeks, and then that that stopped. <laughs> so I still, I mean, it's a good resource, I guess, but I haven't really used it much. Um, but you know, I went through periods of that. But striving was never something I was able to do. It was more just like this is so hard. It's so difficult to live the Christian life. I just kind of gave up sometimes, you know, and thought this is too hard. I can't, I can't keep all these rules, you know. And um, I think I went to my father heart school. Uh, little plug if you haven't done one you should it's good february next year um <laughs> i might be here we'll see um <laughs> and um it was i think it was, it was they do two schools they do an a and a b school and i think it was my b school and i came across this verse in corinthians and when i read this verse it it changed my perspective on what the Christian life's meant to be. That, and then there's some other things I came across later on that I just thought, whoa, this is, this is a totally different dynamic to what I, was, what I thought Christianity was. And like I say, this is nothing of John's doing. So John, when he was mentoring me, didn't, didn't build some kind of religion in me at all. He, he got it. I just didn't get what he had <laughs> to some extent. It was in me, but I didn't know it was in me. And I just kind of built religion around it, really. Um, and the verse, it's... It's kind of confusing in the English, to be honest. Um, I, I'll read it. It's, it's 1 Corinthians 8. Um, and some of you will know what that is. And I, I know I'm taking it a little out of context, but it's, you know, it's, yeah, anyway, I'll, I'll read 
from verse 1. It says, Now concerning things sacrificed to idols, we know that we all have knowledge. Yeah, that's right. We know that we all have knowledge. Knowledge makes arrogant, but love edifies. If anyone supposes that he knows anything, he has not yet known as he ought to know. But if anyone loves God, he is known by him. That's a lot of knowing. And so, you know, for someone like me who didn't have any kind of insights to what that was talking about, I thought, well, we need to, to know more so that we can love God. That's how we prove we love God is how we know stuff. We, we build our intellect up. But when you dig into that verse, you realize that there's actually three different Greek words for know, for knowing and to know that is used there. And so you can read it in a different light if you understand the context of what those different knowing words are. And so what it's actually saying is that we perceive that we have intelligence. <laughs> you want the mic? There's a spare one. And there's not. It's gone. <laughs> we perceive that we have intelligence. Our intellect puffs up, but love edifies. And if anyone thinks that he perceives anything, he has experienced nothing yet as he ought to have experienced. But if anyone loves God, this one is experienced by him. And that's, when I, when I understood what that was saying, I thought, this is, this is completely different to everything I thought that Christianity was, that walking the Christian life was. No longer is it about trying to build up my intellect. I'm not trying to, to grow in knowledge in my head of who God is and serve him from my head. Instead, it's more about coming into an experience of him loving me. That's what the Christian walk is. That's what it means to live as a Christian. It's the easiest thing on the planet. It should be. But we've made it more difficult than that. And I, I, I mean, the other thing that stood out to me, which it, it talks about how intimate that type of knowing is with God, is that the word gnosko, gnosko, is the experiential type of knowledge. It's also an idiom. And the idiom is that um, it means sexual intercourse. It's about knowing someone in a deep, intimate, relational level. And that's the kind of knowledge that we're supposed to experience as Christians. And so when I came across that, it just it started to kind of tweak something in my heart. And I thought, well, maybe there's a different way of doing this. It probably shouldn't be striving. It shouldn't be being zealous on and off. It shouldn't be lukewarmness. It's just being open to receiving his love and allowing his love to transform me. And then I came across another verse, um, which most of you will probably know, I think, in Ezekiel. And uh, it's Ezekiel 36, 26-ish. I think, if I can find it. Yeah, so from 25 onwards, so Ezekiel 36, verse 25 onwards, it says, Then I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you shall be clean. It will cleanse you from all filthiness and from all your idols. And if the 26 says, I will give you a new heart, and I will put a new spirit within you. I will take the heart of stone out of your flesh, and I will give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and you will keep my judgments and do them. I don't know if you picked up on that, but it says that I will put my spirit within you and cause you to keep my statutes. 
So there's nothing that we do to keep the law of God. We're completely free from it. We don't have to come up with 613 laws to keep the Ten Commandments. <laughs> I know that's argumentatively. It might not be 613, it might be more, it might be less. There's discussions on that, but you can have those, yeah. Discussions with someone else, Mark. <laughs> but, we, we, you know, you read something like that and it's like, hang on a second. So now, I don't have to fill my intellect with anything. I can have a relationship with God from my heart just by experiencing him. And as I experience him, he will cause me to walk the Christian life. And that's kind of the point where you realize that um, you realize that you can't actually live the Christian life. Because many of us, I'm sure, at some point in our lives have tried to live the Christian life aside from God, in spite of him sometimes, right? And then you realize that you can't, and you can't live the Christian life without him because it's actually his life that you step into, and you're living it in him. It's not you doing anything. And so when I came into this, this sort of freedom, <laughs> if you will, of, of realizing that Christianity ought to be the easiest thing on the planet to do, it really just, whew, all that burden leaves you. All of that legalism, just whatever, kick it to the side. It's got nothing to do with God. And, and, and for me, you know, especially, I mean, I, I need to give credit where credit's due. It was really, you know, being a part of Father Heart Ministries and going to schools back then in my mid-20s, um, you know, that was really transformational for me because it changed my perspective on how I even look at Scripture. You know, you can look at it intellectually, you can study it, and there's absolutely nothing all wrong with that. I love doing that. Um, but without revelation, what are you going to get from it? You know, you, you need that revelation. And, and, and coming into an understanding of, of that really transformed how I lived my life. And it, it just made things easier. <laughs> it really made things easier. And there was another verse, I think it's in Galatians. Um, somewhere. see, where are we? Yeah, so Galatians 9, it says, but now, after you have known God, or rather, are known by God. And again, it's talking about that experiential love. Yeah. Um, looking for something else there. That was not what I had on mind. Maybe I'm thinking of Ephesians. Yeah. So Ephesians 3.17 also says, um, then by constantly using your faith, the life of Christ will be released deep inside you and the resting place of his love will become the very source and root of your life. It's a good word. <laughs> That'll preach. <laughs> and that's kind of, I think that's, that's the place I'm living out of now. You know, I've, I've, I've seen it all up until this point, and that's the place I want to stay. I want to stay at that, in that rest where his love becomes the source of my life and just abiding in his love 
is what carries me through and what's, what causes me to live as a, a son of Almighty God. And it's, that's the easiest way to do it. <laughs> it doesn't have to be more complicated than that. Now remember, we're running out of time. I'll hurry up. I'll just say this one last story. When I was, um, I think I was 17, and um, it was still a time that my church was still together, and uh, we had some people come and do a Father Loves You conference in, in my town. It was a weekend conference, and it was really good. I can't remember much of what was said or preached or whatever, but it was a really good conference. And uh, towards the end of the conference, they were, you know, inviting people to the front to come and receive prayer. And loads of people were getting wrecked and, and you know, rolling over on the floor, crying, laughing, whatever was happening in their hearts at the time. And excuse me, I saw that happening and I was like, I, okay, I want to get prayer because I want something of what they're receiving, but I don't really want to have happen what's happening <laughs> with them right now. I didn't want to embarrass myself like that. I was, I was a, a very self-conscious boy at the time and, um, you know, just... Uh, yeah, it, w- it was just scary to me to kind of be in a situation where that might happen. And so I was really unwilling to allow God to touch me in that way. But I was still willing enough to go on forward and get prayer. And so I go forward, and this is a story I was telling you last night with, yeah, um, it was Ed, Ed Purick and his wife, Janet. Um, and so they, they come and they, Ed steps in front of me and he puts his hand on my chest and he starts praying. And I'm standing there, I've got my arms up, and I'm, I'm like this big oak tree. I'm just like, some feet are firmly on the ground. Just keep them steady. I'm good. I'm good. And I was doing fine until his wife came. And his wife, she snuck around the back and she put her hand on my, my left shoulder. And I kid you not, as soon as she did that, if you were to divide me in two right down the center vertically, the entire left side of my body just went numb. And as much as I tried, I couldn't stand up anymore. And so I just collapsed on the floor. And I thought, that's fine. I can collapse on the floor as long as that's all that's going to happen. And so I'm, I'm holding it together reasonably well at that point, but she won't let go. <laughs> <laughs> and so she just keeps praying and praying. And I don't know what, I, like I, said, I don't know what's happening at this point, but eventually she, she moves on to the next person and then just floods and floods of tears come. And I think just all the pent up stuff that had happened the years prior just started to come out to some extent it was obviously a lot that had to come out still beyond that but um, you know something happened in my heart at that point and I didn't really know what it was until probably 10 or so years later and then I came across another verse in Romans 5 in Romans 5 5 it says and hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out within our hearts through the Holy Spirit who was given to us and then I realized that's what happened God came and he poured his love right into my heart. And I didn't know what it meant. I didn't know what to do with it. But my life changed from that point, no doubt. And like Randa was saying, I didn't think I'd be where I was today. I didn't think that. I mean, I always had a desire to get married, have children. But I could never visualize it happening. I just couldn't see it in my future. But, you know, as as... I think the Lord matured me a little bit. <laughs> Still some way to go, eh? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, you know, he, he just opened the door for that to happen. And I think the, the more healed I got, the more I was able to, to love others better than what I had been. And so I met Randa and was able to, to love her 
well enough that she wanted to marry me at least. So. And then here we are. Do you fancy doing anything? What do you fancy doing? I fancy using you as an example. <laughs> the reason I wanted you to, to wanted you to hear from these two is because Jane and I have had the privilege of seeing what God has done in them. And those of you who are here every week know that our theme for this month has been the Holy Spirit. And I could think of no better way than to uh, to demonstrate the power of the Holy Spirit than to invite these two to share. Because Holy Spirit makes Father's love real to us. And, you know, we get to see these guys not when they're up the front. And just such a delight to see how real the work of God is in these two. And, of course, we knew some of their story, what they've gone through, what God has brought them through. And you both are just a testimony to the goodness of God. And so we're very thankful that you share that testimony with us because the purpose of testimony is that others can step into their own portion of God's provision, God's breakthrough, God's love. So we're going to finish out this morning just by saying, what does God want to do with you? Because for every one of us, God wants us to take another step. And you've heard all kinds of stuff from Graham and from Randa of how God's brought them through. And <laughs> I love how several times it wasn't really obvious that it was God until afterwards. <laughs> and that's fine. That's okay. Because God brings you through. Yeah? So can we close our eyes? I'm going to pray a couple of things and I'm just going to welcome you to come and ask Graham to pray for you if you'd like that before you go. But first off, I want to just give a space as we're quiet now. Some of you have heard Graham's testimony, Randa's testimony, and something inside of you has said, I want to be able to give the love of God away in that kind of way. When he talked about John being a mentor, something inside of you said, I want that, I need that, I'm called to that. And I felt very strongly as Graham was sharing that, and you don't have to be a man to have felt that, men and women alike. If you know, again, all our eyes are closed, but if you know that God is nudging you and drawing you and just asking you, <laughs> to step into that place. Just raise a hand because I want to agree with you. Yeah. Father, I know that you've done that in my heart. I know you've done that in Graham's heart, in Randa's heart. But I want to agree with everyone who's raising a hand right now. God sees your hand. God has called you and spoken to you, and what he's spoken, he will fulfill. And so I bless you to have your heart wide open to the Holy Spirit's touch and wisdom and release and freedom, that you too would become a spiritual mother, spiritual father to many, a mentor to others, able to give away what he's given you without any doubt and without any hesitation. Yeah, you can be well aware of what you lack, 
but he's turning your sight and your vision toward what you have that's a gift from him. You give out of what you have because he's poured the love of Christ into your hearts by the Holy Spirit. So I bless you to give it away because everything you lack and everything you need comes with it as you give away what you already have. So there's an impartation of fathering and mothering happening all over this room right now. Then the second thing I want to pray is that just as Graham has found his way through what should have been insurmountable obstacles, I'm going to ask him to pray for anyone who feels like they're facing something that they don't know their way through. So, again, as their eyes are all closed, if you feel like you're facing something you don't know your way through, but you're trusting God in that, to whatever little degree you can, <laughs> just like Graham said so many times, you know, okay, God, here I am again. <laughs> I love that. So if you want that prayer, again, just raise a hand and I'm going to ask Graham to pray. Thank you, Father, that you are never far from us. I just think for everyone who has their hand raised, even if you don't, I, I just, I'd encourage you right now, with your eyes closed, just sense where the Father is right now in the room. He might be right next to you. You might be sitting on his lap. He might be standing behind you. Just find him in the room. As you do that, you, you need to know that he is welcoming you into freedom from any type of bondage that you have in your life. Any issue or struggle that you're facing. Any hardship. Anything like what Mark just said, any, anything that seems insurmountable right now, anything that you can't see the light at the end of the tunnel at, he's inviting you to embrace him. He's inviting you to open your heart. It doesn't have to be all the way open. <laughs> it just has to be enough. And his love is going to pour into your heart. Maybe just now with your eyes closed, you'll see that there is a glimpse of light there. As this love begins to gently run through your veins, you can sense that there's hope and that there's nothing that you need to do to get beyond that because the Father said that he'll do it for you. like any good dad would, right? He's not going to let his kids try and struggle alone.
So all of these, whatever it is, whatever it is that you're facing, whatever the problem is in your life right now that you're struggling with, just know that he's with you in it. He is near you. He is holding you. He is loving you right now. And there is nothing that you can do to separate yourself from that. You're in safe hands. Thank you, Father, that you're here. Thank you for your promises. Thank you that your burden is, is light. It's, it's nothing that we have to lift. There's nothing that we have to carry to be close to you. We can come before you on our knees, standing up with our arms in the air, or just as we are, sitting down, and we can experience everything you have for us right now. And you will set us free. Thank you, Papa. So don't rush that moment. Allow him to love you. And know that it doesn't end when the meeting ends. This is a beginning, not an ending. So, encourage you to expect to encounter him and experience him in the car. Of course, if that happens, be ready to pull over if you need to. At home, at work, at lunch, whatever. Father is just so committed to us being loved that he'll show you his love anywhere you ask him to. And I want to thank the parents who let their children be an example to us. All these little ones are such a visual aid of how Papa God wants us all to be with him. But we're going to release you at this point to... Come and get prayer from Graham and Randra if you'd like to. If there's something Graham said that really hit home for you, don't go without asking him to agree with you on it. Because there's a reason why he's shared his testimony. It's that you would benefit. So come on down for prayer. We'll ask Randra if she's able to come and do that. She's able? Yeah. She can do that. Mama's going to pray for people. Of course, I'd be glad to pray for anybody who'd like prayer too. But uh, don't leave without receiving prayer. But be blessed. Go and live it out. That's how it grows. The love of God, the presence of God, the power of God. Bless you to walk in it and give it away throughout this week. And we'll see you back here next Sunday to tell us what God's done. Have a great week.